talking Illinois high school football. If your goals are as high as you talk about, tonight's the night you go out and just take one more step. It's a view from the West. And it starts right now! Welcome into View from the West podcast. I'm your host, Greg Armstrong, once again joined by Mitch Stormer. Mitch, we're back. It's been a while. We haven't been on the Zoom call in a while, but we're back. How the heck are you doing? Yeah, doing doing well. I was, you know, getting settled in, in my uh, hibernation mode and off-season mode. And uh, sure enough, we, we get some breaking news here um, that really kind of is exciting. And uh, it's, it's worthy of a, an episode here with you. Absolutely. So, you know, truth be told, all things being laid out here, we had planned to record on Sunday night and then we pushed it back a day because I had craziness in my house. We pushed it back to Monday. And then lo and behold, Monday afternoon, we start seeing on Twitter that the IHSA board approves to go one through 32 playoff seating. And man, Mitch, it's it's breaking news. Here we go. We got to record. So this is really exciting news. And also, we have other news and notes. We have a great interview from Lena Winslow's head coach, Rick Aaron, coming up later in the show. Mitch, this is a jam-packed episode. Yeah. On top of the fact that it's Super Bowl weekend, and that means it is officially the View from the West one-year anniversary. Did you even know that? I, I didn't know that. So, yeah, this is uh, quite, quite the episode. So that's, uh, that's cool. That's right. We've been through two seasons, technically. The spring, you know, obviously made things a little funny. We've been through two seasons, but this is our one-year anniversary. So we have a huge show. Thank you so much to everyone who listens, who downloads, subscribes, does all the things. View from West Pod on Twitter. Viewfromwestpod at gmail.com. Give us an email. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you want to hear on the show. But we have a lot of fun. But we got to start, Mitch, with the breaking news. Like we said off the top, the IHSA board has approved one through 32 playoff seating in class 1A through class 6A. So that Mm -hmm. joins 7 and 8A in the straight-seated playoff bracket. That'll be the first time we get this in the IHSA since 2001. So this is really exciting. Yeah, this is is pretty cool. Uh, Obviously, with... uh with a couple of schools that we cover Moline being the most notable, having been in seven, a this past season, we saw this, we saw this type of seating, right. But for the most, most of the schools in our area, um, they've been through that traditional North and South bracket, but I think this change is going to be welcomed. I think that it's going to lead to a better understanding or um, it, it'll just give a better, I think, idea of who the true state champion is. Uh, you've seen the North bracket dominate for so long. Um, and, and again, nothing against teams that come from the South because now that it's going to be more of a mixture, but what helps I think is that you might see teams from the North go further into the playoff bracket. You're not going to see so many good teams maybe lose in the first and second round against the eventual state champion. Maybe those matchups come in the quarters, the semis, Greg, you could have an all-conference state championship now with this with this setup. Yeah, and I think that's what's been discussed for years is like we start with the NUIC. That's, you know, kind of where I think yeah. our head goes immediately for anyone in this northern half of the state. I think especially in the smaller classes, that's where you have to look. The NUIC has had matchups between, you know, Forreston and Lena Winslow are the big teams that stand out. 
Those two teams met in the semifinals in 17 and 18 with the winner going on to win a state championship in those matchups. They also met up in the quarterfinals in 2016 and Forreston went on to win that one. So it's like year in and year out, you've seen the trend. Like these teams are meeting up and sure, those are late round. I mean, the semifinals, but really when you get that far in, you start thinking this should be the state championship game based on results of the state of the actual state title game that happened in that year. Right. Um, And again, certainly this could happen with any conference, but just talking specifically about the NUIC, I did see one comment that said that this is now one A is now the NUIC Invitational because you could see, <laughs> you know, you could see, let's say five or six teams from that conference make a serious run into the playoffs. You could have the final eight teams be five from one conference. So yeah, th- this is exciting. Like I said, I think it's going to give a better understanding um, and, and give more teams the chance to prove that they belong that deep into a playoff run because we've seen so many teams just, you know, have tough matchups in round one, tough matchups in round two, where now they're, they have a chance to make a deep run. I think. Yeah. Well, you talk about interesting. You bring up the phrase, like a chance to prove themselves. I go back to one of the all time great state title games in terms of our area of coverage, 1998 Alito versus Rock Ridge. Two Olympic conference rivals at the time. If Jim Taylor from WRMJ is listening, hashtag bring back the Olympic. He's all over it. He he wants this. Two Olympic conference rivals. Rockridge wins the regular season matchup. Get this, Mitch. In week eight, Rockridge beats Alito 49 to nothing. They both go on to march through the playoffs. They meet up in Bloomington at the time, Illinois State. Alito comes away with the state championship win, 25-16. Mm-hmm. A matchup like that would have been, it has been impossible for the last 20 years. Like, this is really exciting. I mean, I you know, working back in my time working at KWQC with Dan Pearson and Nick Bull, Nick Bull was an Alito graduate. Dan Pearson had been around for years covering Alito. Both of them, I always talked about this, this year and that run because mm-hmm. it was so special and so unique. And it was kind of taken away when they went to one through 16. So it's, it's great. I am so excited for the possibility of that type of thing happening for our, our area. Right. And you know, you see it in, in college, right. You see it in, in basketball, you know, March minutes is is structured a lot differently, but you can see teams from conferences competing in the final four in the championship. And certainly in in the college football playoff, we just saw it. And we've seen it a couple of times where two teams from the SEC are, are, are going up against each other. So, you know, the only downside I could see is is going to be a travel factor. You know, um, I was making the, the joke earlier with with a friend of mine from Lena where, you know, th- this is all this is all good. But until, you know, a team from way up north like Lena would potentially have to go all the way south to Carbondale for a quarterfinal game or something like that. So those, those situations are going to come up. Um, and I, I don't know how big of an issue that'll be logistically, but. Again, if that's the only thing that keeps the IHSA or, or keep this sort of seating from really determining, uh, or I should say a better way of determining a state champion, I think that all schools will take that kind of trade-off in a, in a heartbeat. Yeah, I think that over the years, I understood the travel concern, but I think that it's been so long now that it got to a point where 
so many people have seen these what ifs scenarios that we've been brought that we've brought up that I think everybody around the state thought, okay, like if we can do something about it and, and you can, I mean, you can make it this way. And then I think that, yeah, let's try it. Let's see how it works. And then I think in a few years, I don't know, maybe you will have schools that cite travel concerns, but I really feel like in the spirit of the competitive balance and the competition, I think that most schools, most athletic directors will say, yep, we can build it into our budget. We want to make this happen. I wonder, I wonder though, Greg, too, if this maybe brings back the state championships to Champaign, a more centrally located game. Um, like you said, Bloomington is, is a fine facility too, but I'm wondering if, if maybe they're making this switch that maybe that trade-off would be okay. Well, the championship's not going to be so far north. Um, that way our southern teams aren't always feeling like they have to travel. Maybe it, it gets it more of a centrally located title game. Um, you know, I, I don't know why it ever switched from Champaign anyway. Um, I don't think uh, – I've heard nothing but great things from DeKalb. Um, but I wonder if maybe now they'll have to maybe consider having a more central state championship location. I think like all things, it comes back to logistics. I think originally yep. Illinois state had to give up the state title game because they made a playoff run in the uh, FCS playoffs one year. Yep. And so they had to give it up. And then I think that when the big 10 expanded their schedule, that every other year, okay. Illinois is playing a home game on that okay. weekend. Okay. So I think that became the logistics issue of Illinois was having to use their facility. I could see at some point going to 4A through 8A play in DeKalb because mm -hmm. most of the teams sure. when you get towards yeah. 6, 7, 8 are going to be up in that area right. of the state. And right. then the smaller schools, one through three, one through four. Sorry, I yep. should say five through eight would go right. north. Right. And then yep. one through four would go south. I could see something like that happening. Yep. Now, me personally, I liked, I, I've always liked the experience in DeKalb. I've gone mm -hmm. multiple times. Every time I've gone, it's been great. Champagne's been fine as well. I don't have any, I don't have any issue with either location. To me, DeKalb being a slightly smaller stadium Mm -hmm. I think helps it feel like it's a little more packed. It feels sure. like the crowd's a little more into it or because it's louder. Well, yeah. The, the stands are, are really you yeah. know, right there. Whereas Illinois sometimes feels a bit cavernous. And so mm -hmm. um, I, I've always liked DeKalb for that aspect, but yeah, I, sure. I think um, I can see that either way. Uh, um, again, that's, that's complete speculation. Just kind of thinking off the top of my head, but yep. I would imagine there's going to be another domino to fall from this. I just don't know if that's, if that's what it's going to be, or maybe they just, you know, uh, they, they keep the status quo. I, I have no idea if they have a contract with, with Northern Illinois or DeKalb or anything like that. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. I, I I'm just really excited because I think it's a great, it's a great move in terms of the fact that I think over the years, the results have dictated the North has won Yep. More often than not, not every right. year. It's not, it's not flawless. I know Stark County went down a couple years ago and I really felt good about Stark County winning a state championship and Arcola beat them in DeKalb. But for the most part, the Northern half of the bracket has won the state championship. So I feel right. like this is a way to kind of hopefully spread out that talent a little bit and we get a true state champion. And it's just one of those things that it's been discussed for so long 
And then all of a sudden today, it was like, oh, I, that's happening. Like, I, yeah, great. I didn't even, you know, I, I don't follow the IHSA board and what they do, but I didn't even know this was on the table. So, you know, when you said that to me, it was like, oh, not even like a rumor that they're going to talk about it. Like they voted on it. It's good to go. So, uh, yeah, a welcome change and uh, exciting for, uh, for the future for sure. Yep, absolutely. Well, Mitch, we have other exciting updates in eight-man football. Yeah, this, this because, is where, yeah, this, this is where I think that the IHSA listens to our show because we're <laughs> finally getting traction on this. So, yeah, uh, give us the second update here. That's right. So, the in the same board meeting, the IHSA also discussed eight-man football becoming an IHSA-sanctioned playoff sport as yep. soon as 2023, which is what we've called for this year. It, I see no reason outside of participation numbers, like outside of the number of total teams. Right. I didn't see any reason why it shouldn't be, but for better or worse, I know some people don't love the fact that, you know, football enrollments are shrinking, right? but it's growing. Eight man is growing. And right. so they, the IHSA board said there was still a lot of things to discuss, you know, things including the playoff qualifier numbers, how many teams get in, the number of yep. classes that you have in eight man. At this point, I don't think you need multiple classes. You're not no, there yet. I, right. But they talked about a playoff schedule and then obviously school enrollment limitations. You'd have to set a limit on how big your school can be when you're allowed to play eight-man football, which they already do that. The, the controlling board um, that runs eight-man football currently in Illinois already has a limit. I don't know what it is off the top of my head, but I know they do. And I'll give credit to the organizers of the eight-man football division currently as it sits, they've done a great job. They've done a great job. And I think what is going to really go a long way in the IHSA board approving this is the fact that this eight-man division has been organized. It's been Mm -hmm. well run. Right. You know, I think that's going to go a long way in the IHSA board approving this. Yeah. You know, this isn't something where, um, they're just approving eight-man football from the jump with no eight-man teams, you know, to go off of. This is this has been an established, you know, what three seasons now that they've had a. They've had I believe a so. Yep. Um, so they're you know the the foundation is there. It, it's it's absolutely there. So um, I'm hoping this is a you know where there's smoke, there's fire sort of situation. They're talking about it. It's on their radar, um, and hopefully you know this gives them a year to kind of pay attention to it maybe a little bit more, see how it runs. And I, I think it'd be a pretty seamless, you know, introduction um, into making it a sanctioned, sanctioned sport. And um, like you said, kudos to everyone who's who's been on that organization for a couple of years now, getting this going. And, you know, I hope their hard work is, is, is recognized. And uh, I, I think eight man is going to continue to grow and that, There'll be a lot of teams uh, like there are in all the classes now as we as we move forward. So this is this is good, and I hope it uh, uh, it comes true. Yeah, and I think you know going back to we were pretty outspoken throughout this year that you know why isn't this noted by the IHSA? Why isn't yeah. this sanctioned? But right. I will say I will say in in all seriousness, I think the IHSA has done the right thing in letting it play out for a couple years to kind mm-hmm. of see if the numbers continue to grow and yeah. also just to see if it, if it works basically. Yeah. And that goes back to my point that the people who organize it now have proven that it does work. There's a lot of community support throughout the playoff system and in their state championship game in Monmouth, which has been a huge success. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's been great. So 
I think for as much as we were, you know, let's do something right now. I think it's good that the IHSA, you know, has looked at it. Yeah. And and we're going to get to it in just a minute. Um, But, you know, there's going to be a team that was 11 man going on to eight man. And that's just one in our area. So it's not to say that there's not four or five in the state in the same predicament. So, yeah, I I think that this will this will continue to grow. And uh, like I said, I I hope this this comes to fruition and it uh, becomes a, a state recognized event. Well, that Mitch is called a tease ahead because we do That's have ahead. that we do keeps have... the listeners engaged, Greg. That keeps the <laughs> listeners and these listen numbers uh, up. So yeah, That's we right. gotta we gotta keep it gotta keep it flat and just let them listen. That's right. That's podcasting one hundred and one, Mitch. Is that the class yeah. we took in college? I don't know. I don't. Sure know. is. Yeah. Sure <laughs> so is. all right, Mitch. Well, with that flawless segue, let's get yep. into our other news and notes. Here's all the things that we thought we were gonna like talk about yeah, right away. this was the show up until about four o'clock. <laughs> exactly. And then we had, you know, everything blow up, which is great. We got a ton of things to talk about here. Yep. So anyway, I think the big news up until we got this most recent news, mm-hmm. Brandon Kretzmer has left Sterling Newman. He's mm-hmm. taken a job. He's joined the staff at his alma mater, Western Illinois University. Yep. So huge credit to coach Kretzmer going, getting into the college ranks he's proven himself as a great head coach, as a great football coach. I, you know, I'm happy for him, but you know, it's, I'm sad to see him leave Newman because he was doing great things and personally dealing with him in the podcast and interviewing Mm -hmm. him. He was on the show a year ago, really good guy. I wish him the best, but you know, it's a loss for Sterling Newman for sure. Yeah. And you know, he was, he was really a perfect candidate to fill the shoes of, of Mike Proposi. And, you know, he, he spent three years at Newman, went 23 and six and won a title. So what, what more can you ask for? Um, but, but as you mentioned, you know, he, he played linebacker Western Illinois. Now he has a chance to coach the position at his alma mater. Who would pass that up? So um, uh, congrats to him. And uh, it's a big, big name program now that needs a head coach. Yeah. But one thing I think is interesting and, you know, this is huge credit to coach Kretzmer and, and to that, to that program and to that team, because obviously he had to fill the shoes of Mike Poposi, which mm-hmm. is, you know, you look at it at face value, that seems impossible. Right. And he goes out and he wins the state championship in 2019. Yep. So don't you think that in some way, like he kind of like got the hardest part out of the way, you know, like he bridged that gap to the coach that takes over now to where yep. They got that state title. They kept the program up at a high level. And sure, the next coach has that pressure to be Sterling Newman, to be the blue machine. But a little bit of that pressure has taken off, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the blueprint at Newman has been the same for... um, Literally, Mitch, the blueprint. Right, yeah. uh, The blue machine blueprint. (laughs) I wanted to get Um, that joke in there. I couldn't let it go. Yeah, you nailed it. Um, (laughs) You know, it's it's a culture thing. So it's not to say that any coach is going to come in there and be successful because that's not true. And that's just, you know, that's a disservice to coach Kresmer. Um, but they do such a good job in that community, in that youth program. Um, you know, the kids are gonna be ready to play. They, they were injury plagued this year, still made the playoffs, you know, um, and got to the second, yeah, I got to the second round. They beat Mercer County, got to the yep. second round. So, um, you know, they're going to be fine. That program's going to be just fine, but it's just, it's just interesting to see, you know, or, or to wait and hear who they replace. They've had, uh, the thing about Newman, and this was even true uh, in you know my years at, at Morrison, is that they seem to have consistency in their coaching staff. There's not a lot of turnover there. So even though we're talking about a coach leaving, there's a lot of assistants that have been there a long time. 
Um, so, you know, you wonder if one of those guys is going to get uh, the promotion to the head job. There's, there's grads of Newman that are coaches on other staffs, not going to mention any names, not going to speculate about anything, but there's, there's certainly some interesting names here and uh, you know, that get the keys to the Cadillac with a program like Newman. Yeah. Well, you, you nailed it. I mean, with the consistency of coaches over the years and the program has been run so well by Mike Poposi leading the way, but then also with the coaches he had under him. And I think one of those coaches we, we have to point out, um, big congratulations to Tim Nelson, longtime Newman assistant coach, will be inducted into the Illinois Football Coaches Association Hall of Fame class of 2022. So Mitch, you look through Tim Nelson's resume as an assistant mm-hmm. coach. He was a defensive coordinator for a long time for Sterling Newman. He had 307 wins with the program, 28 playoff appearances, six state titles, and two runner-ups. Yep. So, I mean, that's what you're talking about. I mean, huge congrats to him on the Hall of Fame nomination. That's well-earned among a program that was so well-run, and he was a big part of why. Yeah, uh, again, like we talked about, just the, the consistency and the continuity that that program has had. And, and coach Nelson was, it was a big part of that. Like you said, he was a part of all six titles and even part of the two runner ups. So uh, you're talking about eight trips to Champaign and DeKalb. That's a pretty solid resume and a well-deserved hall of fame uh, uh, induction, I should say here for, for coach. Uh, Mitch, as a defensive coordinator, Tim Nelson was probably breaking down film of QB one, Mitch Stormer in Morrison circa like what, 2005, 2004. Yeah. Well, it worked in Oh four. Cause I think we lost like 40 to nothing that year. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a true story. That's an absolutely true story. Um, and I think, yeah, we lost our senior year too. So yeah, he had, he had our number for sure. There's no, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> Congratulations again to Tim Nelson. Actually, he announced that, uh, that was this past season was his final season as a coach. He's uh, stepping away from coaching because of uh, work commitments with his job. But man, what a what a career, you know, what a what a run at Newman and really a lot to look back on and a lot to be proud of with him, Coach Poposi, and then, you know, that segue to Brandon Kretzmer. And I think, you know, I think Newman's in fine hands. I think that yeah. they'll find a great hire and I'm sure that they'll do great. So, uh, yeah. Mitch, we have more coaching, uh, more coaching carousel, more coaching uh news here in in the track yeah that's right spring valley hall rehires randy teeman to replace nick greeny so teeman is back after a two-year absence to leave spring valley hall in his first run he was 45 and 39 he had an eight-year stint as head coach and they went six and oh and won the track mississippi in 2017 so this is a program i mean a proud uh, spring valley hall program Mm -hmm. and in recent years they had been really good so, um, you know, Randy Teeman is back. I read an article about how he, uh, you know, missed it a little bit this last fall yeah. when things got back up and rolling and, and looked, you know, normal again in the fall. So, you know, good, well, good to have him back on the sideline. Yeah. And like we just talked about with Newman, that gives Hall a little bit more consistency, a little bit more continuity and, and bringing things back. You know, not, not all those players are going to remember coach Teeman or, or were a member of, of, you know, when he was around, but, um, you know, this, this was a team that struggled this past season, um, but were, were involved real close in a bunch of games. And yeah, I, think they bring, I think they bring a lot of kids back. So 
Um, yeah, th this could turn out to be a really good hire here for Hall. And uh, I, I think that that is a little bit of a, of a sleeping beast there because they're just a couple years away from, from winning the track Mississippi division when they went six and oh. Um, and I think there are tools there that could get them up to that level again. More coaching changes. We'll go to the NUIC. Dakota Indians have hired Dan Sheets. Sheets is a Stillman Valley graduate. He won a state championship as a player in 2003. He's been a defensive coordinator in Dakota for the past four seasons. Mm -hmm. And talking a little bit to Kyle Kantmeyer, I think this is a really good hire because he's obviously been around, like I said, defensive coordinator. But I think he's already, being that he's already involved in the school, has yep. the attention of the kids and hopefully can get that energy and that excitement to translate onto the football field and get kids involved and really get things moving in Dakota. Yeah. Um, and I guess we're, we're three for three here and sound like a broken record where we talk about consistency, but, but again, this is uh, a coach with, with a nice background, both as, as, uh, as you mentioned, a Stillman Valley grad with a, with a championship under his belt um, and been with the Dakota program, a very proud program there for the past yep. couple of years. So, um, the way Kyle was talking about it, it seems like there's a lot of excitement in the community. Um, obviously they've had a down year, maybe a down couple of years. Um, but again, a sleeping giant in, especially in that conference where they can make some noise. So, um, yeah, excited for coach seats, coach sheets, I'm sorry. And, uh, to, to get that program back to, you know, uh, that powerhouse that, that everyone knows Dakota to be and, uh, excited to see it. Another, <laughs> it just, it seems like, if he gets Dakota to that level, the entire season of the NUIC football will be much watched, much watched games. Yeah. And uh, with this new playoff seating, we get even more teams from that conference in and, and well-deserving. Well, and I'll tease ahead a little bit to the interview we have with coach Aaron from Lita Winslow coming up later. He says in his interview, and I agree with him that every year he wants to hear that every team looks good. They're going to yeah. be good and they're going to compete because he says, yeah. That makes the whole conference better. If we yep. go in and play the best eight teams or nine teams every year from mm -hmm. our conference, that that's better for us in the long run. You know, he doesn't want to hear, yeah. he doesn't want to hear that this team has a down year. This team, you know, is pretty injury plagued. They're not doing very well because that doesn't help them necessarily mm -hmm. in the long run. Sure, they'll grab that win, but, you know, you want to play the best week in and week out. And that's what the, NUIC has done. Now, on the opposite side of that coin, I will say, you know, Dan Sheets replaces Joe Free, who resigned at the end of this past year. Free compiled a record of 28 and 25, technically had a winning record. He mm -hmm. led Dakota to the quarterfinals in 2018, but it hasn't really gone well in the last couple of years. The spring, yeah. they were winless. They were two and seven this past season. So I think even if he finishes above 500, I think that with a program like Dakota, the expectations are so high year in and year out. So that's, mm -hmm. that's the opposite side of the coin for we talk about how good the NUIC is, but there is that pressure. There is that expectation. So I think that, you know, um, Dan Sheets coming in recognizes that. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure he sees it. And it, it starts right. with getting, getting numbers, getting kids involved. And you got to win a few games, you know, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Since Sheets is involved with the school and, and is, a, I believe he's a teacher there. Um, he's got familiarity with these coaches, which or sorry, with these players. And so if there was a numbers problem in previous years and, and, and look, we can't, 
take too much, you know, uh, COVID and so many things that affect a lot of smaller community programs that we, we saw more than that Dakota. Yep. Um, but if you get a guy like Coach Sheets in there who is familiar with his students and has been with them for a couple of years off the field, and maybe he starts getting a few more players out, you know, little by little. That's a few more players that go into the weight room. It's a few more players, a few more bodies on the sidelines. You start to build that back up to, to the way that Dakota is used to. Um, and, and so, yeah, looking forward to it. I, I, I like the hire here, and uh, it's exciting to see Dakota kind of rise back up into the, that upper echelon of the NUIC. Well, Mitch, we're going to stay in the NUIC, kind of. Mm-hmm. East Dubuque has voted to join Southwestern High School in Hazel Green, Wisconsin, in an 11-man football co-op. The, uh, the IHSA doesn't allow co-ops to cross state borders, so that takes East Dubuque out of the NUIC, and that puts them in competing in a regular season schedule in the Six Rivers Conference in the Wisconsin, in the WIAA, the Wisconsin, you know, State Athletic Association. Yeah, interscholastic. I, I was trying to come up with the name, but I, it's yeah. WIAA. So because of Wisconsin rules, Southwestern would host all postseason games. So, but that also being said, there's a chance that they could face a two-year postseason ban and I didn't really, I read some articles. I'm not really sure why, but I think the Wisconsin um, board goes on two-year agreements. So yeah. basically two-year eligibility each year based on your enrollment. So I'm guessing that because Southwestern has changed their, has changed their, their co-op or their agreement, then that becomes in violation of their, of their contract in two years. Right. Right. So it's a little messy. I don't know exactly, but either way, for our purposes, East Dubuque is out of the NUIC, mm-hmm. which is a little disappointing because that was a great rivalry with Galena. I hope yep. they can continue that as a non-conference rivalry with this co-op they're forming. But, um, you know, it's sad to see them leave the NUIC. Yeah. Um, yeah, they were making strides, I thought, in the fall. I thought they had a really good season. Um, and I think this will work out well for them. Uh, truthfully, uh, you know, we've seen yep. it with other teams from the NUIC that did that. Um, I believe it was River Ridge, I believe, yep. who now co-ops with the Wisconsin team. And I think they won a state title. So I believe they um, did. Yep. You know, I, I think Southwestern. I don't. I don't know what Southwestern has at the moment, but I think they are. If this goes through, inheriting a very good East Dubuque program and uh, postseason ban, or, or if they if they appeal that, or even if that goes through, um, I think that 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 could be a really, really good team in that conference. So, you know, um, uh, again, we're, we're sad to see them leave, but uh, the circumstances are what they are. And I think they'll, I think it'll work out for them uh, in this co-op situation. Yeah. Looking back at last year, I think they had a lot of talent that unfortunately was injury plagued. And I don't think they were ever all really healthy at the same time. Yeah. And that that's unfortunate. Cause I think they had a lot of individuals who looked really good throughout the year. And um, I saw some, you know, when I, when I covered them in a few games and I think they just weren't ever really able to put it all together on the field at the same time. Mm-hmm. That being said, I think, yeah, I think there it's a program that's, you know, well, well-grounded. They have a good foundation. I think that the, yeah, it's a good place for them to join a co-op. I wish it could happen in Illinois, um, but it, you know, the, the closest one would be Galena and Galena seems like they're in fine footing on their own. 
they don't need it right now. So who knows? You know, in in the ever changing landscape that we've seen right. of that is high school football, things could change in two years, in four years. Who knows? So well, yeah, and and as we talk about, you know, a school leaving and changes, insert West West Carroll. Yep. Yeah, that leads me to Max's point. West Carroll is now back to eleven man varsity schedule. Last season they played a JV only schedule because they didn't have enough numbers in the junior and senior level. So now they're back with East Dubuque being out. The NUIC now still sits at nine teams. So similar to last year, each team is going to have to play one non-conference game, Mm -hmm. which I don't think is the worst thing in the world, but I get it. I'm not an athletic director, so I don't have to fill that one week. And it gets tricky. When you start talking about a week five, six matchup, yeah. Most teams are playing a conference game, so it gets right. a little tricky. Yeah, and you know this this past year, um, you know we saw that with, uh, you know, Dupec having to play Saint Teresa. Um, you know, we saw Lee Win play. I don't remember what Chicago that De- DePaul or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um. So so yeah, can you know? Um, and and I think Dupec was supposed to play. Normal Urbana, somebody Urbana, Urbana. That's what it was. Yep. So yeah. Um, so you know, hopefully with this open week, so to speak, out of conference week, you wonder are you going to go a Dupec route and try and schedule a you know a solid team like like St. Teresa was. Um, so yeah, but but again, like you said, there's not going to be much changing in the UIC in terms of structure. So that's that's ultimately what's important, and it's good to have West Carroll back. It's um, be, be fun to see the thunder on the sidelines again and uh, uh, a welcome, uh, you know, if you're going to lose East of you, at least you're bringing in West Carroll. So uh, that'll be good to see. Nice, nice uh, change of pace. So West Carroll is going back to 11 man, but we have news in the Lincoln trail conference that Ridgewood, the Ridgewood Spartans are going to eight man football. The Cambridge mm-hmm. and Alwood schools both voted to go to eight man. So Mitch, Again, the changing landscape, it happens again to the Lincoln Trail. Right. Um, you know, where they they just brought in uh, Knoxville and A-Town this past season. Now they have another opening. Will they fill that? Uh, it, it's hard to say at this point. Um, but, yeah, another, another school that, you know, uh, succumbs to circumstances, uh, unfortunate circumstances. But, again, have that option to play, man, and that's why having that is important. Um, so yeah, the, the Lincoln trail will, uh, you know, Ridgewood, a program that was in the program or sorry, in the playoffs, not too long ago. And they were pretty consistent, had a couple down years. And now you see why maybe because of numbers. Um, so this is, this is going to be a, a hole to fill for that conference for sure. Yeah. I mean, you look back going back 10 or 15 years ago, Cambridge Vikings on their own were a yeah. very good football team and yep. made it to the state championship game and finished as a runner up. You look at Alwood who at one time was paired with Rova, the Alwood Rova school uh, co-op went to the playoffs several times. Um, They were a very good football team. And then when they combined to become Ridgewood, I think Ridgewood is one of the teams that kind of got robbed by the loss of the 2020 season. They got to play in 2021, but they had a really good, they were a playoff team in 19. And then in 20, I felt like that was the year. They had that collection of juniors and some experienced seniors 
I felt like they were right there. And they, I believe, pulled off a big upset over Anawan Weathersfield that year. And it just felt like they were right on the verge of being really good. They lost on a last second play to Mercer County. Like we said, it's it's a you know a tradition traditionally really good program. Yep. Uh, had a had a down season and now with numbers uh, are going to have to go a different route. But um, yeah, like we said, it's hard, hard to know right now what the LTC is going to do. Um, but a big shoes to fill in terms of bringing a, a good contender into that conference. Yes, the LTC lost West Central a few years ago, yep. who's done really well in the eight-man ranks. And yep. yeah, now they're losing Ridgewood as well. Well, speaking of eight-man football, we have an eight-man update. We have now, I believe, 30 teams playing eight-man football. So yep. there's going to be there's going to be five divisions, two yep. north divisions, two central divisions, and one south division. So if you can follow along, here we go. One of the North divisions will start, which becomes like the NUIC division, basically. Yep. Polo, Aquin, Orangeville, Milledgeville, Amboy, and River Ridge. Kyle Campmeyer is salivating at this right now. Oh, he, yeah. Who wouldn't he, be? He, yeah. he loves, he loves this division here. Yep. But they're gonna, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna beat themselves. So it becomes interesting. Right. You know, they're going to take out a lot of, you know, you know, they're going to eliminate a lot of wins by beating themselves. But I think that's that's the best you could do is play the best and then well, get to the playoffs. Right. And that's where where eight man has the seeds one through 16, where Absolutely. You're gonna see if if a team from the NUIC has. A six and three record and maybe has a, a, a lower seed, they'll just work their way down the line uh, into the into the quarterfinals. So. Yep. Uh, yeah, that, that's that's why this that seeding works. So let's look into the there's other NUIC teams that'll be in the other northern division: Alden Hebron, South Beloit, AFC, Kirkwood Hiawatha, Rockford Christian Life, Elgin Harvest Christian, Yorkville Parkview, and then I believe it's Yorkville Christian Academy. So those are the teams in the north, the other north division. Okay. Central division is Milford, St. Thomas Moore, Flanagan, Cornell Woodland, Danville, Schlarman, Low Point, Washburn, and Blue Ridge. Central division number two, Biggsville, West Central, the Heat, which we talked about, mm -hmm. uh, Ridgewood, Galva, West Prairie, Prairie Heights, and Bushnell City, Bushnell Prairie City. Mm -hmm. And then in the South division, Pawnee, Decatur Lutheran, Martinsville, Metro East Lutheran, and South Fork. So that is your divisions. They will still keep keep the same playoffs. Mm -hmm. 16 teams seated one through 16. Yep. But it's interesting because you look at Polo, Aquin, Orangeville, Milledgeville, Amboy, River Ridge. Not all those teams can make the playoffs because right. somebody's going to finish with a losing record. Right. You know, I mean, yep. it, it, for the for more than likely. Right. So and that's and that's and again, that's probably something, too, that the IHSA is looking at um, in terms of numbers, in terms of what that playoff structure is going to look like. You know, if they get more than they're at 30 now, if if, say, in a year or two, they're over 40, maybe they do adopt a one through 32 or, or maybe they adopt some sort of, you know, first couple teams get a buy, something like that. So. Um, 
I think this is a good example of, of that, of what maybe the IHSA is trying to figure out how it would work uh, so that all the, all the best teams uh, still make the playoffs. Yep. Either way, it's, it's exciting. I know that, you know, I know that as more teams become eight-man teams, that means that football enrollments are dropping. And I know that's, mm-hmm. that's a little concerning in general that either schools are getting smaller or player participation is dwindling. I know either way it's concerning, but I will say looking at the eight man ranks, it's good to see some of these teams who really needed it. They needed another option. They they didn't have a whole lot of other options when it came to 11 man football, they couldn't co-op anymore, you know? So this is exciting. So I, um, yeah. And we've said it before, you know, if you've never seen eight man, it's, it's a lot of fun. You know, you, there, there are going to be instances where you couldn't even tell the difference if you're, you know, watching eight man or 11 man. So it's not, you know, some sort of funky arena league rule type of thing. It's still straight up football, just with three less people. Um, And and yeah, this is is such a a much better option than uh, fold or uh, in some instances a call where a co-op would be not as, you know, beneficial. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this, to, to more teams. Like you said, the circumstances are what they are, but having more eight man teams brings in more, more excitement into that division. Mitch, until they build the hockey boards around Milledgeville's football field, it still looks like, you know, Milledgeville football to me. So I'll, I'll yep. take it. Right. Yep. <laughs> All right, Mitch. Well, that wraps up the first half of this episode, which was supposed to go about 20 minutes. I think we've covered about everything here. Yeah, the Lena Winslow fans are wondering when we're going to get to the point. So uh, we, we appreciate you listening to us because we, uh, like you said, we didn't anticipate having the, the IHSA news. Um, but I think that that warrants uh, a bit of a discussion here. Absolutely. Well, Mitch, thank you so much for joining me for all this discussion. Let's jump right in. Let's hear from Lena Winslow Panthers head coach, Rick Aaron. Well, it's Super Bowl weekend, and when we're talking championships, we have to bring on the state champion head coach of the Lena Winslow Panthers, head coach Rick Aaron. Coach, thanks so much for being on View from the West podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, haven't done a lot of this, so we'll see how this rolls. But uh, yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, you were, you were a little worried, I think, about the questions going in, but I assure you, there's no there's no math, there's no science. I, that's not my uh, that's not my thing. So I'll stick to football. I think you'll be comfortable with that. Good deal, good deal. That sounds good. All right, sounds good, Coach. Before we jump into fall 2021, which was obviously a great season, another banner year for you guys. Let's go back in time a little bit. Your state champs in 2019, 2020 is canceled. You get to the spring of 2021, and it's a shortened, condensed season. But you're already going into the year. I think you knew that Jennings Dunker was out. Now, now a impact player for you from the state title the year before. He's now at the University of Iowa. So you're already without him. You get this huge matchup in week one against Princeton. Mari Roby looks electric in the first quarter. Then he goes down with what at the time appeared to be a bad leg injury. It did turn out to be that way, unfortunately. So now... I understand. I think did you guys go five and one in the spring though? Uh four four and one. We ended up having a game canceled. Dakota. Dakota okay. had COVID or something. I can't remember. Sure. So the Princeton or game. Four and one. Yeah, the only game you lost was that Princeton game. Yes. But either way, 
Take me back to that night leaving Princeton, knowing that this season already is kind of a weird year anyway, because there's no playoffs. You're without your impact senior. Now you're without Mari Roby, potentially looking into the fall when things go for real. What were you and your coaches and your players talking about that night? That had to be kind of tough. Well, you know, the whole, even going back a little further than that, the whole season was tough. You know, it, it, uh, it like you said, it's an, it was an odd season. You try to make the most of it. I think the kids, uh, the kids responded well to the COVID shortened spring season. Uh, me as coach, I didn't so much. And, uh, you know, in talking with our, with my assistant coaches, you know, at one point in time, I'm like, you know, Hey, I, I'm just kind of not feeling it. Are you guys, you know, and they're like, yeah, it just doesn't seem right. You know, um, the weather was horrible to practice in, uh, you know, everything just did not feel like football season, except when you're actually on the field. Uh, so going down to Princeton, uh, you know, we really had big expectations coming into that year. We had, we had, uh, you know, Jennings Dunker coming back. We didn't know till really right before the season started that he was definitely going to be out for the year. Uh, we were hoping at some point we could get him back, but it was definitely in his best interest. Um, we go down to Princeton. Princeton had a great team. Uh, they were probably well on their way to uh, competing for a three, a state championship, uh, that was one of the better teams we've played over the years. Uh, but, you know, a kid like Mari, when Mari's healthy, he can keep you in any game. Uh, we had we were really young up front. Uh, we were really young outside of Mari and Luke Benson, to be honest with you, at quarterback. Uh, you know, those couple guys coming back from the state championship team. And, uh, yeah, Mari was – I think he had, you know, a handful of carries for – 70 some yards or something in the first quarter and a great touchdown run. And um, then he went down right on our sideline. We knew right away it was serious. Uh, uh, Dr. Lyles, um, one of our team doctors was there and, and I think it was even more serious than he thought at the time. But uh, so that, uh, you know, that put a damper on things, but I tell you what, our, our kids really responded well and played hard Um and I think that game right there not only set the tone for the rest of the year, but we played so many young kids in that game that I think it set the tone for this past 2021 season as well. Um, and just because we came out and we battled, I mean, we could have laid down and Princeton could have put a running clock on us real easy uh, because they definitely had us. They had us outmanned. They had us out talented. They had us, they had us <laughs> out everything, you know. And, uh, but our kids battled hard and, uh, you know, really, I think, like I said, it set the tone for the rest of the season. We beat some really good teams, uh, down the stretch, a really good Galena team, um, a really good, uh, UPEC team, uh, again, a, a game there that we probably shouldn't have even been in and, and we stayed in it and, and battled. And then I think that really led to our success this past season because of the depth that we developed. Yeah, I was just going to ask about that. You know, on, on the positive side, you know, looking ahead then, once you get through that spring, what did you see in the summer, in those workouts leading into that fall? It was a quick, I mean, it was a short off season, but what did you see from having real game experience in, in that spring with some of those younger players? Yeah, um, you know, just, we gained a lot of experience and, I think we actually ended up having more starters returning 
for 2021 that it's even possible to put on the field because I think we had, you know, for example, on offense, I think we had more than 11 possible starters returning um, just because, you know, Amari was a starter at one point in time. He went down, uh, Jake Zeal stepped in and played for him on offense and defense. Jake goes down with a broken collarbone at East Dubuque. So then we bring in another young kid to start. Uh, Zach White started at corner, uh, brought in another young kid to start at running back. And so we ended up getting, you know, out of Mari going down, we ended up getting three starters, you know, on either side of the ball out of that one injury. Um, Ethan Fye really came into his own. Uh, he was our leading rusher in the spring. Uh, he was our leading rusher up until about the end of the regular season this year, while Mari was kind of still nursing that injury and getting healthy. Um, so he, those guys really stepped up big for us. And, uh, but yeah, the, I think the depth that we developed over time uh, and all the experience of all those young kids playing really, really helped us. Yeah, I want to take a quick side note. Talk about Ethan Fye. That, that's a kid that, you know, really did the work for you in the spring. And then in the fall, like you talked about, when Mari was still kind of coming back, he really led the way for you guys rushing the ball. I mean, did statistically lead the way rushing the ball. And then come playoff time, I think Mari was 100% and he really showed everybody in the state, you know, what he could do. And so you weren't seeing Ethan's name so much in the headlines, in the stats, but just give a little shout out to him. Cause he, he really did a lot of the work for a long time when you needed him to. Yeah, he did. And he did it on both sides of the ball. He did it in the backfield for us. He did it outside linebacker for us for two years. Um, you know, just, uh, just an absolute great kid, great work ethic. Um, He's he's going to go in. He's going to become a Marine, but he's on a full ride uh, to I think to probably U of I before that with a with a big scholarship from the Marines. Um, so that kind of explains his work ethic, his his intelligence, and things like that. But um, you know, I give hats off to him because he really came into his own, um, and we needed him to in the spring season. Uh, we, <laughs> we had no choice. I mean. We had nobody left when when Mari went down, and then a few weeks later, at East Dubuque, Jake Zeal went down. Um, Ethan was our guy, and uh, and he accepted that role, and and he got punished. I mean, everybody knew it was going to him. We didn't have anybody else really to give it to, um, and he accepted that role. And then this past off season, when Mari was rehabbing, um, you know, Mari really was he didn't get the go. I think the clear clearance from the doctors till late July. And uh, so, you know, he had been in, in our summer workouts all summer. We work out Monday, Wednesday, Friday mornings at 6 a.m. And then he would come in on Tuesday and Thursday mornings just to do some recovery and some rehab on his, on his injured leg. And Ethan was with him the whole time. Ethan would come in on Tuesdays and Thursdays with him. So they got a great relationship, great friendship. But more importantly, you know, they were there for each other together. And then, uh, and then this year, again, Mari, you could tell Mari was not at, at full strength all, all season long, really, of the regular season. And uh, in addition to that, him being back on the field, he really became a marked man. I don't, people didn't care that he wasn't necessarily healthy. They just knew what he could do with the ball in his hands. And, and uh, so as, as people really, really game plan for Mari, that allowed for Ethan to really take over and, you know, he was uh, basically a thousand yard rusher right around there in the regular season. And, 
And then, of course, Mari hit stride in the playoffs, and we got a little bit better up front, and, uh, you know, things just took off. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get there in a second. Things took off pretty well there come playoff time. You know, you cruise through the regular season, the early part of the regular season. You drop a tight game to Dupec. But I think the game that really kind of turned heads for our area, for maybe around the state, was the week nine game against Forreston. Forreston came in and knocked you off. And I think that, you know, they had a good season, but I think it surprised everybody because you guys were the, the favorites, you know, going into class 1A at that point. And maybe even after that loss, you were still the favorite. But take me to that night. And, you know, what was the, the tone in the locker room? What was the talk? Because this is week nine. The playoffs are a week away. And you, you, don't, you never want to lose a football game, but especially at that point in the season. Yeah, we, you know, we talk every week, uh, every day at practice about getting better, about being, and I know it's an old cliche, be better, you know, today than you were yesterday and be better this Friday night than you were last Friday night. And, you know, we talk about those things all the time and, and maybe we talk about it too much, but, um, you know, there were different parts of the season. I thought early on during the season, we were, real, we were really good we and we were getting better and, um you know, then I think, uh, you know, we run into Dupec and number one, Dupec was really good. So I don't want to take anything away from them. But, you know, in a close ball game, I think we couldn't have played any worse. And again, a lot of it was them on the other side of the ball, you know, doing what they did to us. But, uh, you know, close game where we felt we, we didn't play very well. We didn't play very well in the ensuing weeks to come. And so going into Forest and, um, you know, I had been down to see Forreston uh, on a Saturday against East Dubuque. Uh, they just looked kind of okay. Um, and I think, you know, at that point in time when we played them on that, that week nine Friday night, I think that game against us meant everything to them. And we weren't playing very well. And we kind of laid an egg. And again, hats off to them. Probably... Uh, being on the wrong side of it, probably the, the greatest drive I've ever been involved in. And, and uh, you know, that, that last drive, I think it went 91 yards and however many minutes. And that was just like a, that was like a, a knife slowly going into you. And then they keep turning it a little bit, and, um, you know, just, just a grueling drive. And uh, we weren't very good that week. And, and I knew we weren't very good that week going into it. And, you know, that, the end result of that game uh, was probably the best thing that could happen to us because we really challenged our kids the next five weeks. Um, typically, I would say that during the playoffs, we kind of taper things back a little bit. We're not as physical during practice. Uh, we don't go quite as long as we typically would in a practice, you know, keep our legs. And uh, we didn't let up, you know, from that, from that opening week against uh, Aurora Christian. You know, we had our, our foot on the pedal and uh, we worked our kids hard. They responded well. And, you know, I think it was every Sunday when we'd be as coaching staff and we'd say, you know, keep keep our foot on the pedal. Keep, you know, don't don't let up on these guys. Don't let them relax. Um, and like I said, they responded really well. Yeah. So you talked about the huge win over over Aurora Christian in the first round. Then you get the rematch with Forreston. Now, one of my favorite parts of doing this podcast, talking to coaches, is I love talking about, you know, getting into your brain that week, about the game planning, about the strategy. What was your approach going into that rematch? And what did you see? Did you see anything X's and O's wise that you needed to adjust? Or what were you talking about as coaches going into that rematch against Forreston? 
Well, really, X's and O's when we play forced, and it's there's not going to be a whole lot of secrets. You know, neither one of us change anything really all year long. You might add a little wrinkle here or there, but um, that was the game our kids really wanted. Um, you know, we went down and we scouted that game. They played that on a Friday night against Galena, the first round game, and uh, a few of us coaches were down there, and probably eight or ten players. And they stood by us, and you know, at one point in time. Um, Galena was threatening late. We said, hey, we, we might get a shot at Galena. And our kids are like, no, we want to play for us. So that kind of set the tone right there before we ever played a Roar Christian. And so having been beat up front like they beat us in week nine, um, and that doesn't happen to us a whole lot, but what they did to us at the offense on the offensive and defensive line scrimmage week nine really set the tone for a week for the second round playoff game week 11. And uh, that was, it was pretty self-motivating all week long, to be honest with you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you go on, to, you, you win that one against Forreston. Mari Roby has a great game in that one. But I think, man, Mari Roby really turned heads in the Fulton game the following week. In the quarterfinals, he goes 109 yards and two touchdowns on his first two carries. Coach, you ever seen anything like that? You've had a lot of good running backs. But the start to that game, just the way he was shot out of a cannon was really impressive. Yeah, he, you know, he just hats off to him because he worked so hard. A lot of it was on his own. He's going to physical therapy. Um, he just, you could see him each week. He'd get a little bit better, a little bit better. Um, I'm trying to think uh, what game it was in the Forreston game. I think he got caught from behind. And that's pretty frustrating for a kid who's about a four, five, five kid in the 40, um, knowing he knows what he can do and he just couldn't quite do it, you know? So that's pretty frustrating for him, but um, you know, just the work I think he has and to get to that point to be able to have two carries for a hundred and some yards was pretty incredible. And uh, so I wouldn't expect anything less out of him. Let's put it that way. Cause he, that's just how he, that's just how he is. And, you know, he's a great representation of our football program because he works hard. He's a good student. He's, uh, you know, he's a class act in the classroom, on the field, off the field, everything. And, you know, I, I wish we had him for about 10 more years. So. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I wish I could watch him play high school football for about 10 more years. And he, he did some things that was so much fun to watch. I mean, his highlights were just incredible in every game. So let's jump into the state championship game. You're going up against Carrollton, three first half turnovers, which not ideal. But when you needed a spark, here we go again. Mari Roby three touchdowns in the second quarter in a wild second quarter. Just take me through the emotions of that first half. I mean, it was at first, it was like, well, what's going on here? And I was walking the sideline and, you know, you could sense frustration building amongst you guys. And then, you know, Mari Roby kind of said, no, I got this. And just, and just went to work. It was impressive. Right. You know, it, we didn't have a problem moving the ball. You know, we, we were doing what we wanted to do. We we're getting first downs. We we're rolling the clock. Uh, putting ourselves in good field position. And it seemed like, you know, every time we, we got into a good position, there was a fumble, we had the interception, a couple of fumbles. Um, and, you know, at one point in time, probably late first, early second quarter, I felt like we were in control, but every time we kind of gained control, then we'd fumble it, we'd throw the pick, we'd do something and, you know, I remember saying to our kids two different times after we scored before our kick coverage took the field, um, like, hey, you know, we're fine. 
They, the kids were frustrated since that too. And I'm like, we're fine. We can't play any worse than we are right now. So if this is the worst we're going to play and we're still leading in the state championship game, you know, so be it. And, and, you know, I made the comment to several people at halftime and following the game that it wasn't, it wasn't the best game we've played all year, but it was good enough at that point in time. And it's kind of a double-edged circuit. It's kind of frustrating. You get into a state championship game, you want to play your game. There's a lot of people there watching. There's a lot of people watching on TV, online, live streaming. It. And so you really don't want to, you don't want to show that performance, but it's, uh, we played, we played well enough to win. Um, at times we played great. And at times we, you know, like I said, put the ball on the field, on the, on the ground and stuff like that. Um, but again, at the end of the day, it's, it was a state championship game and it was good enough to win and we brought home trophies. Yeah. Coach, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the rest of your offense, you know, Luke Benson, an experienced quarterback who really seemed to be kind of a leader, you know, amongst that huddle, you know, when you guys are on the field offensively, we talked about Ethan Fye and Jake Zeal and Gage Dunker, Brady Isle. There's so many names that could run the ball for you and run it well behind a really talented offensive line. You know, all, all that being said, all those names being thrown out there, what made this offense stand out to you? What do you remember about this offense from this past year that when you would set up plays, you know, when you would get out on the field and say, wow, this is really, you know, they really got something here. Well, I thought we, you know, we were actually able to do a lot of different things, even though it doesn't look like it on film. It doesn't look like it when you're, when you're there watching us, um, you know, very rarely do we just base block something up front. We're pulling something, we're running down scheme, power scheme, counter trace scheme, um, wham, uh, a lot of different stuff that we're, that we're running that people don't understand or see. And, we're able, we were able to do a lot of those things just because of the personnel we had. Um, you know, for example, I thought I thought most of the year, Mari was our best blocker at running back. And when he wasn't as healthy as he was at the end of the year, you know, he was he was leading up in there and he was just hammering linebackers or he was kicking out DNs and things like that. So he was really, really good at not only running the football, but also blocking. I think late in the year, Gage Dunker really became that hammer as as a lead blocker when when Mari got healthy and was able to carry it more. Um, Brody Mann at tight end, he allowed us to do a lot of things that we aren't always able to do just because um, he was a great he was a great run blocker at the point of attack. Uh, he was great at play action pass, um, able to get out and run routes, and with his length and his great hands. Um, you know, we were able to do a lot of things. You know, we only threw it probably 50 times out of the year, but when we did, we were able to, we were able to accomplish a lot of things that, you know, we set out to do when we do decide to throw it. Um, and Luke was always ready for that. You know, he was a three-year starter for us. When he was a sophomore, he really didn't have to do a whole lot. You know, you had Sean Armiston, you had Isaiah Bruce in the backfield. You had a lot of guys, you could just hand it off to him and let him go. And, uh, you know, so when we threw play action, it was it was a home run or nothing when Luke was a sophomore. And then, you know, as he as he matured as a junior and then into this year, you know, he really became more of that leader on the field in, in the huddle, and which is exactly what we needed him to do. Yeah, Coach, you referenced uh, Brody Mann on the offensive side of the ball. Tell, tell me about him on defense. Obviously, he ended up being an all-state football player this year. So huge credit for him on that. 
he really, I felt like, led the way in that second half to shut down Carrollton. He had a couple big plays back-to-back, you know, getting to the Carrollton offense in the backfield. What, how crucial was he for this team? I mean, looking defensively on the side of the ball. Oh, just incredible, you know. He, he, really, uh, he really surprised us as a junior, how well he played. Um, again, he got all that experience um, in that, in that sh- shortened season that, you know, on both sides of the ball. And then this year, we knew he was going to be really good. Um, in the Dupac game, his junior year, first pass of the game by uh, the Hoffman kid, I think it was his first intercept, first and only interception of the year, and Brody just made a great play on it um, and really showed his athleticism. Of I mean, the ball was well overthrown. Most linebackers, and Brody went up and got it, dropped right into the perfect zone. Um, great run stopper and perimeter run. He's really deceptively fast. Um, and he was really our leader on defense because it seemed like when, when something needed to be done, he was the guy that stepped up and, and, you know, he had the huge sack late in the game against Carrollton in the second half there. Um, he just made plays all year long. He was able to, he was able to get off blocks, beat blocks, um, and make plays at or behind the line of scrimmage. And, uh, We've had a lot of good players come through Lee Wynn, and I don't know if he's the best linebacker we've ever had, but he, there's nobody that was better than him, let's put it that way. Yeah, like I kind of referenced Luke Benson on offense. It felt like on defense he was the heartbeat. You know, he was the, he was the guy kids were looking at. You know, opponents were looking at him too for the plays he was making. So I, I always kind of, you know, saw him as kind of that leader on your defense. Coach, overall, it's your fifth state championship team. What characteristics stand out? How do you remember this team? What defines it for you? I think they just got better. As a group, they were put in a bad situation to begin with, like every other kid in, in America with the whole COVID thing. Um, our kids are, are workout freaks. They're in the weight room and on the track all the time. And that never stopped in that time, um, in that COVID time. Even though we weren't doing stuff at home, they were all over the place, you know, the, we had kids going to gyms that weren't even open. You know, we have a, a deal here in Lena that's similar to like an anytime fitness where you can code in and they were still going into that gym, even though they probably weren't supposed to be, uh, they were working out guys houses. I gave, you know, I gave weights out and bands out and stuff to kids and they were doing makeshift, uh, uh, makeshift weight rooms in their basements and their garages. One kid's got, got a nice setup in their horse barn and, uh, so, you know, the, the thing is, it's, it's been, it's been such a ride here over the last probably 15 years that kids have just every year, it's a new group of kids, but it's the same thing. You know, they just pick up where the last group left off and this group, uh, you know, they just, they never skipped a beat. And, and when they knew, you know, the one thing we really had going for us this year is they knew they were going to start a regular season, but at any point in time, I thought, you know, COVID could put an end to this. So, you know, we reminded of them, we reminded them of that a lot. Um, and they just responded, you know, they played every day, like it was their last day. Um, and I think, you know, they, they, it's a group of kids, this group of seniors that has, has always been really, really tight. There's about 14, maybe 15 of them, something like that. They've always been a great group. Um, they've always been best of friends. They hang out on the field. They hang out off the field. Uh, 
you know, so it's just for them to finish it off like they did, it's, you know, it's kind of a fitting end to that chapter. Yeah. Coach, you know, you talked about the weightlifting and, you know, how you know your kids are weightlifting freaks. And I think that goes back, you know, years in this program. Me and Mitch, you know, on the podcast, love talking about NUIC football because, you know, it, we say it without any hesitation. It's the best football conference in the state. You know, I, the, the level of competition is the best you're going to find anywhere. What separates Lena Winslow? What has separated your program? You talked about weightlifting, but, you know, back when you started to where you're at now, what do you think has been some, you know, some key factors to getting you guys to where you're at? A couple of things, I think. Uh, most of it has not a whole lot to do with me. Um, first of all, uh, Kevin Milder, our defensive coordinator, has been uh, been with me since the day I started. He was a, one of the first guys I hired. Connor Arndt, who's been our sophomore coach for probably uh, – Connor's been coaching here for probably 35 years. Um, he's going to step down this year but come back as a volunteer, hopefully. Um, Kyle Benson, our offensive coordinator, he's – since the day he moved back to Lena, he's a Lewin grad, he's been with us. Um, John Mankuski has been a volunteer coach with us for probably, probably 20 years. I don't know that for a fact, but he's volunteered. He volunteered before his son was in school through his son being in school and his son's been out of school now for, uh, probably going on 10 years here pretty soon. So we've had that camaraderie amongst our coaching staff, um, that has really helped. I think the other thing is we've never been afraid of change. Um, you know, if if I go to Kevin, our defensive coordinator, and say, hey, you know what, take a look at this. I think, you know, maybe this is something we should look at. I don't necessarily care that we do that, but it's, you know, it's out there. And I think our guys have always been, has, have always been willing to change for the betterment of our program. And we do the same thing in our strength and speed program. Um, you know, Austin Rickles, our head track coach, he's also a volunteer coach for us with the fresh soft and the varsity. He runs all of our speed stuff. And, uh, you know, I just turned that over to him. He took it by the reins. We, we do it every day um, in the off season, during the season, all things like that. So I don't think there's anybody on our staff. I mean, we have a, we have a staff of 12 coaches that includes four junior high guys. But as soon as, as soon as the junior high season's over, they come right to us with, they're at practice almost every day. They're running a scout team during the playoffs. They're doing something, helping out on the sidelines. And I think it's always, you know, it's what's best for the team in terms of all of those guys as well. And, you know, I, to me, that's, that's what has kept it the way it is. And I think with the emergence of, uh, you know, when I first took over, Galena was kind of ruling the conference. Stockton was still pretty good. Um, and so we had to really work to try to get to their level. And then it was Dakota and Coach Lano, you know, built an incredible program there. And we really had to bust our butt, especially in our, in our strength conditioning program, to try to get to their level. And we finally got to that. Um, Forreston kind of did the same thing coming back at us, as well as UPEC. And, you know, I think you have to be, you have to be open to change. And you really have to keep that, try to keep that chip on your shoulder in order to stay at their level. So I think the, like you said, being the best small school conference in the state, I think to keep, to raise your level at all times and stay on the top is a hard thing to do 
but I think it's also the best motivator. Um, you know, I've had this conversation, I think, with Coach Freed from Galena before. You know, the best thing for our conference is for Galena to be good every year. You know, people will say to me, oh, I think Galena's going to be down, or Dakota's going to be down a little bit this year. That's good. And I'm like, no, it's it's really, it's not. You know, the best thing, if, if we could play a uh, nine-game schedule of, of, in our 10-team conference that everybody was really equal every year, I mean, we're going to do some really good things. But it also it ups the ante a little bit, so that you got to try to you got to stay at the top of your game. You got to really work hard to get there and then stay there. But you know, so like I said, Coach Reed and I've talked about it before. The best thing for our conference is for Galena to be good, for Stockton to be good, for Lee Wynn to be good, um, Dakota. You know, you want all of these schools to to continue to produce talent uh, in the long run. You you want to beat them, but that's a motivating factor. Well, coach, you said a lot of this program success doesn't necessarily involve you, but I'll put you on the spot and say, going back to your first season to looking at now, how have you changed as a coach? Oh, what, what do you look back on and say, Oh my God, I can't believe I did it this way. Right. You know, what are the things you've changed? Most people always tell you, I still don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, and that's fine because there's times when I, you know, you question yourself, but, um, I can look back on that first year and go, it, I had no idea what I was doing. You know, um, I think you think you have all these grand ideas and things like that, but as a program, we were, we were in a pretty good place when I took over. Um, John Wallace had been the head coach for, Oh, a handful of years prior to me taking over. And John, John left teaching at a young age and wanted to make more money and kudos to him. But, um, when he took the football program over, it was not in very good shape. Uh, I think they had, they had embarked on three straight uh, three state winless seasons and only 27 street. Um, and he really did a good job of, of getting the program back to being fun for the kids. Uh, he was getting some kids out. And so really when, when I took over and Coach Myler and Coach Arndt with me, um, it was kind of an easy thing to do at the time because kids were looking to get better. They were looking for a change. Uh, at that point in time, Lee Wynn was, was really content with, if we got to the playoffs, great. And uh, so that was a good place to be because it was a good time to take over, um, to try to take it to the next level. And it took us a long time to get there. I mean, we, be we became competitive, I think, almost immediately. But um, to get to the point of going, okay, we're going to go to the playoffs and we're going to stay in the playoffs for a little run, you know, um, took us a while. And now it seems like if we get to the playoffs, or I shouldn't say if, but when we get to the playoffs, you want to compete for a state championship. And uh, it's, I can't explain it. I really don't know how things have changed so much over time. It just has. And it's just the mentality um, of our program right now of, you know, you not only want to, you know, you want to do things the right way. You want to develop good people. You want to be a good person yourself. But at the end of the day, you also want to kick somebody's butt and have that mentality to do that week in and week out and try to motivate kids during the offseason to do that. That's kind of the tough part. And, uh, but it's also a lot of fun. Yeah. Coach, kind of a funny story. I, looking back now, I remember 
the year that you guys won your first state championship. And I remember at the time thinking, man, this is really great for the conference to get some new blood in there. You know, a team that hadn't won a state championship, you know, usually you were seeing Galena was in there and Aquin was in there and Stockton, the names you'd referenced. And I thought, man, it's great to see Lee Wynn get a state championship. Little did I know what you were, uh, you know, what you were had in the works here to win five, you know, in your time. Did you ever imagine five state championships that you're sitting on now? No. Uh, you know, when we won our first one, it seemed like it was so long overdue and, you know, really didn't know how to even go about it. Um, and uh, so when we finally got that first one, it's like, okay, we, you know, we got one. And then we had a couple, we had a down year after that. Uh, I guess not really a down year, down year speaking now, I guess. But um, when we won it in 2013, it was really unexpected because we were kind of injury riddled like we were this year. Our best running back, Tyler Oakley, was down most of the year, not playing well. Um, got really healthy. And we went on a great run in the playoffs. And we, to be honest with you, I thought it would probably be an early exit in the playoffs. And we just got a little bit better all the time, kind of like this year. Um, and then in 17, uh, 2017, with uh, Robbie on Valentine, Mari's old brother, um, that team was one that, you know, we beat two, we beat, Forced and twice, and we beat two really, really good football teams there. And we beat a great, great Tuscola team in the state championship game um, to go 14 and 0. We that one, that was one. We had a great team, but we also played some great teams. We earned that one. Um, that was that was exhaustion right there. Uh, 2019, you just kind of had to keep it rolling. You know, uh, uh, we had again. We had some great players. We had some great individual talents, and and we got better as the year went on up front. And then you know this year, you know we sit there and talk as coaches, like you know never never thought we'd get one, much less two, and now we're sitting here with five. And it's you know we're truly blessed. That's for sure. Well, coach, you you know you put your name in the ranks of all time coaches in the NUIC, but you learned from maybe the all-time coach in the NUIC and John O'Boyle at Stockton. You played for him, correct? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tell, tell me about playing for him. And then, you know, when you became a coach, what'd you take from him? What do you still do maybe that, that you saw from him as a head coach? I think, I think you have to develop relationships with kids, um, which is probably what he did best. But by the same token, you got to be willing to still have the firm hand as well. You know, it's kind of like, kind of like uh, your own kids. You want to have a great relationship with them, but you're still their dad. You're still their mom. And at the end of the day, you're calling the shots. And uh, you know, you want them to you want them to go out and grow up and, and be great people. And I think Coach O'Boyle thought the same thing about us when we were kids. And uh, so I think, in some respect, I do do something similar to him. Um, he was a great guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I read an article that Kyle Campmeyer from NUICfootball.com put out a couple of years ago, an interview with you, and you referenced that you only faced him one time as a head coach, and you, you said you won the game. What do you remember about that game? That had to be pretty emotional for you or just kind of, a, just kind of bizarre yeah. standing across the sideline from the guy that you probably looked up to and obviously played for. Right. I don't remember a whole lot about the game. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't even know what year it was at this point in time. 
<laughs> but I remember that I reminded him very often that uh, I was one and old. And, uh, yeah, so so that was always enjoyable. That was always fun. But uh, yeah, he was uh, he was a great guy. His son Dan graduated with me. He was our quarterback our senior year. Um, yeah, great guy. Yeah, learned a lot. Well, coach. Speaking of great coaches. In the post-game press conference at the state championship game, do you remember who Mari Roby compared you to? I don't. He said, he said you are the Bill Belichick of the NUIC. Now, <laughs> as you spit out your water, is that, yeah. is that a fair coaching comparison? or? Uh... Bill Belichick has forgotten more about football than I'll ever know about football. <laughs> so that's not a real fair comparison. But I appreciate that from Mari. Um, yeah, I don't know where, well, what I'll ask you then is when you look at college and NFL head coaches, who do you, who do you look at, um, as far as the way they lead a team, the way they draw up offense or defense, or what guys stand out to you as guys you try to learn from? Well, to be honest with you, I'm a huge Belichick fan. Okay. Or not. Um, over the years, I think he has, he has done a lot. A whole lot of stuff with less talent than most teams in the in the league. Uh, obviously, it helps to have Tom Brady, but you know, year in and year out, they're great defensively. They rank near the top almost almost every year in the NFL in defense, and uh, he's doing it with no name guys. You know, so they've done a little bit of everything. Um, in the time that uh, we've had kids at the University of Iowa, I've become a great uh, Coach Ferentz fan. <clears throat> Um, I think he does things the right way. Uh, I've been out there numerous times for workouts, for practice. Um, and he is, he's kind of that guy that I was telling you about, you know, he, I think he, he truly genuinely cares about what's going on with the guys in his program, not only during that time, but I think years after graduation as well. Um, I like how he does things. Um, I guess right now they'd be they'd be the two guys that I'd say that you know I really respect and admire and when you see them on the sideline you pay attention. Yep. Well, coach, that's all I got for you. Thank you so much for joining me. Enjoy a little bit of the off season, but I'm sure you guys will be back to work soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got kids work working out now. Uh, not a whole lot of them, luckily. You know, I, I think they need time off as well, but. Um, most of our kids are, are two and three sport athletes. Most of them are three sport athletes. I think we've got about eight high school kids in the weight room right now out of, you know, 55. So 55 players. So um, it's a good, it's a good time to, you know, to be around school. And, um, you know, as the spring rolls in here, hopefully in the next month or two, uh, the excitement grows a little bit. And, and then once kids graduate, this will be a sad year. You know, this, this group's done a lot of, a lot of great things for us, but, um, that's a great thing about high school coaching is you're going to, you know, May 31st rolls around and there's a new group of kids that come in and, you know, new kids developing as leaders. And, and to me, that's what makes coaching high school football so much fun. Coach, before I let you go, I will ask you about, I saw a tweet from you a few months back about the importance of multiple sports and maybe not so much hitting the football hard in the spring and really doing a whole lot. Why so important for you as a head coach to emphasize that, you know, multi-sport? I think a lot of coaches say it, but a lot of times it's, you know, it's easier said than done. 
why so important for you to get those athletes doing other things? And then, you know, once it's football time, we go back and we focus in and we dial in. Right. Well, I, I think, it, you know, it's just like working different jobs in life. I think it makes you multidimensional. Um, I think it makes you a better athlete. I think it keeps you healthy. There's, there's nobody that needs to be in the weight room five days a week, um, you know, and not playing another sport. I think it just makes you a better athlete, a better person overall. Um, I'm not a big fan of, you know, the year round seven on seven stuff, the showcase stuff. Um, I've made that pretty well known on, on social media as well. And I get a lot of crap for it, but it is what it is. It's my opinion. And, and uh, I think there's, most of your college and NFL coaches at this point in time would tell you the same thing, you know, go out, make yourself a well-rounded athlete, well-rounded person. Um, and you're, you know, the high school years go by so fast that you're only there once. If you like playing baseball, play baseball. If you like running track or shooting hoops, play those sports, wrestle, do whatever. Um, you know, kids give us, give us excuses all the time. You know, I, I want to work. You know, I want to buy this car, you know, this and that. You, you're going to do that for the next 40 years. And uh, so be a kid when you can be a kid. Um, you know, I think the other thing that our coaches don't do, we try, we try really hard to not do, is we try not to pull kids in one direction. You know, I remember a few years ago, Kyle Benson tried to talk Sean Ormiston and Isaiah Bruce into not play an AAU basketball. He's our head basketball coach. And he's saying, hey, this summer, you know, they went on a, the, their junior year, they went on a long postseason run in basketball, made it to sectional. We played 14 weeks of football. And he's telling, as a head basketball coach, he's telling them to take it easy in the summer and not play AAU basketball. So that's just kind of always been our mentality is, is uh, you know, play hard when you can play, when you can rest, rest. But at the end of the day, be a kid too, you know. Go go fishing with your buddies, you know, swim in the pond somewhere, sneak into somebody's pool at night, you know, whatever you, whatever you do, um, but be a kid. Those days uh, don't last long enough. So. Well, as a, as a father of a young athlete who will probably be in high school sooner than I want to admit, I think it's great. I think that's a great message. And I think it's something we all, you know, I think we all struggle with it. You want to be the best and you want to be competing, but you know, you want to let him be a kid too. So I, I think that's great. So exactly. Well, exactly. coach, thank you so much for your time. We'll, we'll be in touch and I'm sure we'll be, uh, you know, we'll be talking soon when uh, football does get back up and rolling. So that sounds good. Hey, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. And, and you took it pretty easy on me too. So that was good. <laughs> All right. Sounds good, coach. We'll see ya. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. That'll do it for this week's episode of View from the West. Thank you so much for listening. I encourage you to go out to Apple Podcasts or Podbean and subscribe so you can follow along and downloads will come automatically every week. You can follow along on Twitter at ViewFromWestPod. You can also email me if you're interested in being a sponsor, ViewFromWestPod at gmail.com. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week.